you want to move your program forward creatively all the time. If you're playing, you know, the Mercury Lounge, there's 200 people. We want to get to the Bowery Ballroom. And after the Bowery Ballroom, you want to get to Irving Plaza. And then you want to get to the Beacon Theater. And maybe you'd like to play Madison Square Garden. And my job is to make sure that you get there and to help you get there and show you the path. I'll ask people, what do you think the most valuable thing in, is in live music? And most of the time people say it's the ticket. And I say, no, it's information. That's the most valuable commodity. It's information and how you deal with it, how you communicate it, you know, because how you handle information and interpersonal dynamics, those are the foundations of trust. So here we are with Mr. Jason Miller. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. Mm. Recording this on St. Patrick's Day. Shout out to all you Irish folk and, and honorary Irish folk today. Anyways, so for everyone out there listening, Jason here, former executive vice president of Live Nation. And he's recently been announced as the new GM of Outback Presents Northeast Division of Independent Promoters, which is something we feel you know, very strongly about independent promoters, independent music video, music venues, excuse me. So getting into Jason's background just a little bit before we hop into this interview with Live Nation, Jason's worked with artists like Fleetwood Mac, ACDC, Pearl Jam, Prince, Lady Gaga, Mariah Carey, Dead & Co, Guns N' Roses, Tom Petty, Eminem, Radiohead, Jay-Z. The list goes on, some legends and man, booked in some of the top venues in the world, mainly in the New York City area, just, just going over some of them, Madison Square Garden, Yankee Stadium, City Field, MetLife Stadium, Barclays Center. These are incredible places. Radio City Music Hall, Carnegie Hall, Central Park. We can go on. But anyways, Jason, thank you for taking the time, some of your very valuable time here to join us today. Started this off, I figure, you know, we'll just you know, give you a, a nice softball right over the middle of the plate here. Talking about <laughs> leading teams. Can you talk to me about something you avoid doing in terms of leading a team that you think's allowed you to have successful teams? Yeah, actually I can. That's a, first of all, thank you. That's a great question. Uh, and I can tell you one thing that it doesn't fit my personal management style is micromanaging. You know, mm. I believe that you need to trust your team and you need to give the team leeway to be stars. I'm I've already had the great fortune to book a lot, to achieve a lot. And my job is to help other people grow as much as it is to be a resource for artists and agents and managers and 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 look after the 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 events that I book and, and, and promote, but th there are several different disciplines within concert promoting. There's production, there's marketing, there's ticketing, there's booking. They're all interrelated. They're all important. Um, I often say that I don't do that much, which sometimes is true. Sometimes it's not that I talk on the phone a lot, which is definitely true. Um, but it's really the it's it's really the team that pulls everything together on a show um, that makes it a success. Um, I help lead that team, but I I I give my team um, 
the the confidence, the trust, the ability to make decisions, and to know that that even when we make mistakes, which are inevitable, and we should make mistakes because we we have to learn and we have to learn from them. Um, and hopefully we're not making the same mistakes twice. But but giving them that and for them to understand that I've got their back, that they're protected. You know, I, I'm I'm the one that my job is to take the body blows. If you're on the front lines and something isn't going exactly right, that's that's my job to solve those problems. I mean, that's a, in essence my job is to solve problems and and what I what I do every day. And and there are different kinds of problems I try to solve. I try to solve math problems. I try to solve personality or personnel problems, which are sometimes personality problems. But 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 the, but I don't get there and I don't grow my business or my team by doing it all myself or keeping them under the thumb you know and that's not to say other people do that I don't encounter that all the time but I think that's that's something that I've thought about it's a conscious decision on my part in terms of of leadership and leadership style is is that I I, I believe so strongly in it um mm. great great question I mean it's something that that I just spent a couple of days in Nashville um, with my team in Nashville and talked literally about that this week. So it's a very timely question. It's so interesting. Like what makes an environment most conducive to people being their best? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's one word that you can collaborate when you can, you, you know, you can talk and you can talk freely. It, it, it It's funny that, that one of the things you know, that's hampered, a bit, I guess, coming out of the pandemic or because of the pandemic is, is that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of us are remote or hybrid and we're not all there all together. And that, that being together, there's, there, you can't replace that. You can't replace being able to, to, to walk into, um, you know, your colleague's office or cube or whatever and shoot the shit. And I mean, when I was at, at um, it's funny, it's like, when I was at Live Nation, I mean, I don't, I do not now or ever um, play an instrument. But I got a colleague, Christian McKnight. By the way, he's an epic promoter, the Long Island legend, Christian McKnight. And he's got this like acoustic guitar in his office. I don't think he plays either. And I think we just got it together because I just will go in there and take the guitar and str- and I don't know how to play guitar, you know. But it's just cathartic, like sitting in his office strumming a, an out of tune instrument and talking about you know whatever whatever videos we're watching on youtube or what you know metal bands or whatever he promotes a lot of it doesn't just promote metal although i tease him about that um and we but we would do that you know and like those are the kind of things and, and you'll talk about about shit and like those are when the great ideas happen you know mm. those, those are those are when the great ideas can happen um so it's I love it, that. I want to put it, that under a microscope. It's like great ideas come in those moments of just like shooting the shit of yeah. aimlessness almost. And yeah. I think that's something we hear musicians talk about with songwriting even on this on this show. Like the nature of a eureka moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, I do know what you mean and it's true. It's it's always when when you're not looking for it or not expecting it you know like the parallel like what you know people always talk about you know 
love and romance and oh i want that it's like yeah but when you stop looking for the girl like the girl finds you like you hear this shit all the time right not you know and true or not but like sometimes when you stop looking for the great idea it just falls out of the sky in front of you you know because you were you know what whatever we were watching something you know so definitely uh um you know my old my you know that my old team man but shout out to to christian mcknight and adam fatchler uh the current king of irving plaza um because the three of us have just laughed our asses off um immeasurably and you know what that that creates a great office environment creates a great work environment uh, uh i mean a, a creative environment for ideas and um I got to tell you, being an Outback Presents, I mean, you know, first of all, you're in Nashville. Like, I, everybody is nice in Nashville. I have yet to meet somebody who's not nice. And it's the it's the same thing. I, you know, my, my boss, Mike Smartak, who's a legend in this business, and I don't think he actually uses a, a computer. He works off of an of a, uh, um, iPhone. But we sit in his office all day. I mean, when I'm in Nashville, I sit in his office and he, there's people that bounce in and out and talk about ideas and talk about things. And I, he just said to me like like two days ago, you know, I'm sitting there working, I'm writing some stuff down. He's like, what's going on in your head? I can see your brain working. I'm like, well, actually, I was thinking about whatever that, you know, I we were talking about one thing and that made me lead to another idea and like. So I'm just writing it down so I don't forget. So like, you know, everywhere, everywhere I go, you know, I'll take some sort of pad and paper um, so that I can write things down. And like, and I do it sometimes on my phone too. But another thing for me, I think a lot of people, but for me in particular, is I'll retain anything better if I physically write it down. So even though we're in a in a in a in a technologically based society today, and you know, I don't think like my I have kids, I have twin boys who are 14 and I think they can write okay but they're definitely on their on, on on their devices on the keyboards and all that more exactly yes and uh but man when i take notes i get i'll 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 retain it you know i'll retain mm. it then i can come back to it later and not not forget <laughs> hi i'm katie producer of weird music podcast i want to give a big shout out to voodoo ranger Well, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. Just want to let y'all know we've got these hand-dyed, ice-dyed Weird Music Podcast hoodies and also tees. If you'd like one, let us know. We'd love to get you one. And a big thank you to the geniuses over at Thrax CBD for sponsoring us with their amazing products. Also want to give a big thank you to J&J Distribution, Ohio's premier Delta 8 and CBD wholesale supplier. Retailers, check out their brands Cloud 8, Compassionate Buds, and Zaza. Got links in the description. And yeah, much love, y'all. Now back to the episode. I'd love to hear you look back on early on in your career and like, can you recall a time where someone kind of went out on a limb or did just like a selfless act of kindness that, you know, really meant a lot to you when you were just starting out and like looking back to do any stories like that stick out in your memory? Yeah, there's probably some, I've, I've have a few of my own where I've tried to carry that forward, but I can tell you, I mean, the first time that I even encountered that, um, was was a year before I got involved in the in the industry and so you know 
myself, a lot of my a lot of my dear friends, and I think we have mutual friends in common. Uh, we all love the Grateful Dead, and and the Grateful Dead played a huge part of my life. And so I had gone. I was a a, a freshman when I, my freshman year in, in in college. I went to uh, USC, University of Southern California, um, and I ended up going back. Yes, fight on. Uh, I left there for University of Oregon. I did four years at Oregon and, and, and graduated. But 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 during my time, and this was 1988 at USC, um, some friends of mine and I, we rolled from, from LA up to uh, uh, Oakland uh, to see the Grateful Dead at the, uh, at the Kaiser Auditorium, which at the time, like, and still, I mean, it's, first of all, it was a very famous place where the Grateful Dead played uh, in the Bay Area it's small. I want to say it's 6,000 people, maybe seven. It's not that, that big. Um, and 1988 was a time when the band was regularly playing arenas, stadiums, amphitheaters, like way, way bigger, bigger places. So you can imagine it was a, a very difficult ticket to uh, procure. And I didn't have it. And all my friends had tickets and I was looking around for a ticket all day and it didn't come and uh, um, this was on Valentine's Day. So all my friends have now gone to the show. Now it's about 20 minutes before showtime. And I've almost resigned myself to like, you know, I'm going to be drinking dollar beers or whatever. And like, you know, <laughs> you know, kind vegan burritos. And that was going to be my night. And somebody just came up to me when I was walking around with my finger in the air and was like, happy Valentine's Day and gave me the ticket. And I, I mean, and it was the greatest night and I had the greatest night and they played an epic show. I mean, like it was, the show was sick. Everything was perfect. What was the, what was the date? Do you remember? It was, yeah. What day? Two, Am I two, supposed to know what Valentine's Day is? Yeah. 2-14, February 14th, <laughs> 1988. Amazing. And uh, yeah, it. the show, the show was epic. So, you know, fast forward and like, I never forgot that. And I've always uh i've always tried to do little things you know when i can you know for people just be just because you know in the in the very formative years when i was booking fish and i brought fish to canada for the first time i brought them to oregon for the first time when i was a student at university of oregon um and we played the wow hall in 1991 and then we played the dmu ballroom at when I got to Canada, I started doing their shows in Canada. I always had a pair of tickets in my back pocket. And I always tried to find somebody outside the show that didn't have tickets that I thought was like real, you know, needed to be there and and pay it forward and get, give mm. them the tickets. I try to put good out into the world, good energy. You know, I, often at work, I talk about using the force for good. That's a term I use all the time. With that being said, you know, you're someone you're kind of very close to to the controlling body of of the whole music industry a little bit or at least you have you've been in and out of that body you know as with your work with live nation and you know i'd like to talk about the current state of live music of music itself and you know really turn in terms of solutions to the most pressing problems so like for context i recently saw a story with the cure they they intentionally kept their ticket prices low, I think like $20 um, for their fans to make them more accessible. And then ultimately the ticket fees ended up costing more than the ticket itself. And 
then the cure was like we we didn't agree to this like and it's just you know more virality about people getting mad about ticket fees and like i'm curious to hear you speak on this based on you know the different hats you've worn throughout your career having a different perspective from both angles of this and just kind of like how you view the nature of this problem and ultimate solutions you see to it well i mean it's it's it, it, it that's such a big question um and it's it's important and it's it, it's tough to it's tough to tackle because every situation is unique you know that's an interesting thing about concert promoting is you know every artist is different some of the processes are the same that you go through every time but you know every artist and their sensitivities are are are, are unique um there's no question that that everybody everybody the the promoter the venue the artist like it, you know everybody wants needs to make more money and no matter how you slice it up or dice it up or where you put it or try to be cute or transparent or non-transparent, like it's still going to come down to like some pile of money that you're paying for a ticket, you know, and it, you know, if you pay $150, you know, whether that's $130 in a ticket and $20 in fees or $20 in a ticket and $130 in fees, it's still $150, you know, and it's like, well, how is that getting getting split up and is it equitable and what's fair and now you're counting everybody's money and all of that i mean there is it's you know the process of buying a ticket is is much the same if the ticket is 20 bucks or 220 bucks so so the the fee's not the fee seems to be commensurate whether or not it's appropriate it seems to be commensurate with price meaning it adjusts with that um, and I just read that too about Robert Smith and no, and I've worked with the cure and he's, a, he's, I love, I mean, I revere the cure and Robert Smith. I've seen him a bunch of promoted him a handful of times, not in New York, but my previous days in, in Denver, um, you know, were, were, you know, great, great days. So I don't really know the ins and outs. I mean, what part of me wants to go like, look, that, I mean, the cure has been around since what the eighties, the late seventies, like. Is there really a need for a $20 cure ticket? Like, like who are we, what are we talking about? I mean, at some point, are you pricing it too low? When you talk about dynamic pricing and you talk about a platinum program and 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 things like that, like, like, you know, if you undervalue a ticket, and this is part of the great debate, are you just feeding the secondary market? And there's enough laws out there that you know the artist might you know want to prevent transferability i believe that's the right of the artist but it's certainly there are laws preventing such i mean it's and they're not all uniform so i think that makes it really challenging to navigate those waters you know on behalf of the fan um i can tell you that as a promoter and and, and um you know one that worked at live nation for a long time like like you know like i'm concerned i understand the 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 strength the value the enormity of the secondary market but i'm also concerned about the primary market first and foremost there's nothing more frustrating to me uh and um other promoters when you you know first of all fans have a hard time getting tickets is it supply and demand you know, I mean, we could sit here and talk about Taylor Swift and like you heard a lot about Taylor Swift, but did you ever really in those 
And uh, did you ever hear the name Louis Messina in any of those articles? Not much, if at all. Louis Messina is Taylor Swift's promoter. He is the one that should be watching the store and be responsible for that. Now, you read these half these stories, you think it's Live Nation's problem. And look, I'm not at Live Nation anymore, but they're not Taylor Swift's promoter. And and that, you know, Ticketmaster, I wasn't there, you know, but I can imagine, you, you know, look, if if do the simple math, if Taylor Swift played 40 uh, stadium dates, and each stadium held 50,000 people. But, you know, you've got tech kills and the various holds. So now let's say maybe 40,000 tickets a show go out to market. So 40 shows and 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 40,000 tickets and a million six. If they gave out more codes than a million six tickets, then that could be a mistake. Because you know what? If you actually have to sign up for verified fan and go through all that, like, you're probably going to buy the ticket if you are afforded the opportunity. So did they create, I don't know if they created a, a, a challenge or, or, or not, but anyway, I was getting off track a little bit about, look, you know, we want to sell the tickets to the, to, to the, to the fans the first time around. So when we go online and we see that like the resale tickets come up first and then you go, well, how's this fucking ticket for Bruce Springsteen five grand, you know, like fuck that and fuck him. And like, yeah, but, that somebody's trying to just be and just because you put your ticket on StubHub or Ticketmaster or wherever for five grand didn't mean that anyone bought it. You got to just be fishing for it. Just because I list my house for a certain price doesn't mean I'm going to get that price in an offer. Like it's it's so so I'd rather see those primary tickets first. And 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 then you might say, well, but you worked it, you know, Live Nation and you guys own Ticketmaster and like. Yes. And isn't that just serving as an example of how, even though people seem to feel differently, that there's actually a separation of church and state between the promoter and the ticketing company? Because there is, you know, and the, I, the, the Senate doesn't seem to understand that necessarily, but that, you know, whatever, you know. So how do we solve it? I it's a, that's a great idea. I mean, I understand that Live Nation's introducing some sort of ticketing reform legislation. I haven't seen it. Um, you know, but their ideas about how to make things better. And I, it, look, at the end of the day, I think they, I think they care. I think that the, I think the perception is out there that the whole thing is fucked up and it's being misused and, you know, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't subscribe to that, that thought process at all. I was there, you know, I mean, I, do I know everything? No. Do I have firsthand knowledge of the biggest market in the country, New York, and what that looked like for the time that I was there, which, by the way, was 16 years? Yeah, I do, you know, and I know what I did and, you know, and like that's that's just is what it is. But is there like an obvious answer to go like it should be? Yeah, I don't know. You know, like who knows? But the market is going to have to correct in some way, I think, you know, because you're right. If it's like. If every ticket should just be should be like five bucks, like well, the, okay, then that's going to change. That will force a lot of change, and that might be fine. I can't even estimate what that may be. Um, but but uh, you know, I don't know. So, do I have the answer? No. Should there be an answer? Yes. Um, hmm. But it's and it's hard. But but and and like I said, you know, like like that's my. That's my past life. And I'm proud of everything I did there. I got, I have nothing 
you know, but good things to say about that company, the work that they do. And I'm proud, you know, I, I took a, a business that was challenged and I turned it around and I, ha I proudly handed it off to other folks who are doing great work. You want to move your program forward creatively all the time. If you're playing a room, you know, and if you're if you're going in into a small room in New York, the next time you, you know, the 400 seat room, you're playing, I don't know, Music Hall of Williamsburg or you're playing, you know, the Mercury Lounge. It's 200 people. Well, you want to get to the Bowery Ballroom. And after the Bowery Ballroom, you want to get to Irving Plaza. And then you want to get to the Beacon Theater. And maybe you'd like to play Madison Square Garden. And my job is to make sure that you get there and to help you get there and show you the path and, and not fuck it up. Because, like, because you're going to have your own life and your kids and your future and your retirement and all that. And by the way, all of us in the music business, it's a little different on the promoter side because there's big companies. But like, you're an artist out there. Where's your 401k? Where's your health insurance? You know, it's not that easy. So, so the role the promoter plays is really extremely important. And I take it very, very seriously. I, I, I joke about my shit all the time and I self-deprecate and all these things. But at the end of the day, it's a heavy responsibility. And maybe that's adds to why I believe or maybe other people believe that I'm good at what I do because this is the th these are the things that keep me up at night you know I, they, they do they keep me up at night and and I think about that and I don't like to make mistakes and when I do I correct them and I try to put good back in, into the world um, particularly when I make a mistake you know that I can correct and I can do something better you know like like i mean i felt uh, there was a time i promoted a club show with uh with jeff ahmed you know bass player for pearl jam and it so it, I, the ad went out something went out and i missed the proof and they sp spelled his last name wrong and i was mortified and so i could have done a lot of things but do you know what i did I figured out that $2,500 would help run a women's shelter for a month. And I donated that money in Jeff's name. And I wrote him a letter and said, I'm really, really sorry that, you know, this happened. And I took the money and I gave it to this shelter in your name. And now, you know, however many people it was, is going to have a place to live and eat and sleep because of it. And he said, thank you. Probably gave me a hug. Mm. <laughs> That's what you do. That's what righteous people do, man. Well, Jason, I can say like throwing that question at you and hearing the extent to which you care about everyone's experience of the situation. That is truly very great to hear. And yeah. it's definitely no easy. It's no easy question. And talking about how the market corrects itself, looking back, like, I remember growing up, how bad scalpers were. I lived outside New York City trying to get tickets and seeing how the scalpers charging X, Y, and Z for a ticket. And all that money is basically being stolen from the artist and from the promoter and from the venue and from you know everything you mentioned about trying to protect the livelihood of everyone involved and how that was basically being undercut by scalping. Like it's, we're, we're here now in 2023 and this is, you know, a further course correction of that. And then, you know, can technology 
um, altogether eliminate the secondary market? Perhaps, but yeah, I mean, it's maybe not right now. And, and it's not an easy question. So, you know, with all this being said, tell me about your mission with Outback Presents now. Um, it's really cool. I, my title suggests, and it is true, that um, I will handle their, their bookings in the Northeast. But I have a lot of experience in different geographical parts of the country and, and Canada um, and ideas for various places around the world. And I've asked him, I asked Mike, you know, it's like, what if I want to go back to my, you know, old hometown and throw a show in Eugene? I was like, yeah, yeah, throw a show in Eugene. I'm like, I want to promote something at the Great Pyramids in Egypt. It's like, okay, that sounds weird, but if you think you can do it, go to Egypt. I don't, whatever, you know. <laughs> I think he told me, wow. he was like, listen, he's like, if you think that you could cut a deal with Richard Branson and you're going to fly a bunch of people to Mars on Virgin Galactic and you're going to put fish on Mars, <laughs> we're going to find a way to fund it for you. I'm like, okay, this is why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I have found my calling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know if you're out there, Trey, but we're going to Mars one day. Hell yeah. So, you know, in, in your title, it, it says it's of independent venues. Is that correct? Independent venues is a part of your, your role? Well, it's, it's, it's really, the, you know, Outback is like the largest independent promoter um, in the country. Uh, we work with May, I think almost exclusively independent venues. I mean, we don't own real estate. We don't have mouths that we have to feed. And that all that automatically changes a conversation in a very material way because there's no agenda that I have going into any kind of a negotiation or any kind of a proposition other than what's best for the artist. You know, what do I think is cool? And it could be anywhere. As long as it's an open room that I can go into, it'd be anywhere. Now, I'm also the kind of person, I'm, I'm confident in my abilities um, and my relationships that... I'm the one person that will tell you if I don't have the right solution for you at any given time. And I believe somebody else does, then that's what you should do. I mean, there's a time, like I think I told, I told you a little bit earlier about dead mouse and I work with dead mouse a lot. I mean, that was a really, you know, then I could talk to you for an hour about how, you know, me and two other people really created the EDM bubble. And it really started with putting dead mouse in Irving Plaza, um, but there was a time when, when you know, another promoter had the Wellmont Theater in Jersey, and he and he wanted to go play it, and they were like, uh, they were so sad to like tell me they were going to do this thing. I'm like, go play it. I'm right here. You're going to come back to me. You know, like what are you going to do? You're going to play that room, and you're going to move on to a bigger room, and whenever it's the bigger room, and it makes sense, like I'm going to be right there. You know, it's you got to think of you got to think like a manager. You got to think like an artist. You got to think about what's best in the progression for an artist. And and that line, as long as we're moving forward, it doesn't necessarily. I don't have to be the solution every time. I'm not going to be the solution every single time. But have I done enough work to to earn your trust? Have I done enough work to have you want to 
rely on me, want to ask me what I think is the right price, where I think the right play is, and what's the strategy. And and if if and if going to this place this time is for today, is for right now, what about the next two times? Because I'm thinking about the next two times as much as I'm thinking about this time that we're talking about. And you'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing in fucking two years. And like, and that's true. But I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm thinking about what happens when, you you know, when you sell out and what what happens when you when you when you come back, you know, and like, you know, and so I mean, I'm taking swings all the time on bands that like don't even know that I'm thinking about them, you know, and what I have in mind until they see something that they didn't didn't want, need or ask for. And who knows, you know, it's going to blow people's minds. And they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, but if they actually sit and spend time with it, whether they, whether they accept that deal or not, you know, someone was creative and thought about them. And that in and of itself is fucking cool. You know, like I know that, you know, I've done it long enough to, 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 to know that. And um, I wish more people did that for me, but it's not, they're not, it's not other people's job to do that for me. You know, it's my job to, to, to do that for, for, for artists, you know, and, and, you know, make the world a better place. So. Jason, one of the one of the key things I feel like we keep on coming back to that's allowed you to be successful is is this idea of building trust and earning trust. And I'm I'd love to hear what you've learned about trust and is most important when it comes to creating trust, maintaining trust, repairing trust, and you know, based on everything you've learned from your career what you've learned about trust well it's arguably the most important commodity in in the music business um because you're only as good as your word and you're that you are asking people to rely on it and this is a business that demands perfection and amplifies the slightest imperfection to you know huge degree and and often unfair um we're we're we need to be quick in this business we need to be right we are expected to be right because people are doing a lot and have a lot of things flying and can't focus all the time and so so someone has to do the actual work pay attention to the details and get it right just in case other people miss it for whatever the the reason is when you make a mistake, you own up to it quickly and and you do what you can to repair it as quickly as you can. Um, and you try not to make too many mistakes, you know, because the less mistakes that you make, you know, the more people are going to believe in you and, you know, give you their confidence. But trust is earned. It's not just it's not just because you're there, you know, and it's not because you know i don't have anybody's trust because i'm at live nation i'm at outback presents i'm at house of blues concerts you know like those are all fine places i've earned trust because i'm jason miller because that means something because over 30 years i've done really good honest solid work um it's not always easy it's not always fun things don't always work. Um, but you're there for people and you protect them. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's important 
because so much of what we do are conversations, you know, and there's paper to back it up and the paper memorialize what you and I talk about when we're entering into a deal or in the middle of a deal, whatever it is, you know, we go on sale, uh, you know, but, but, but that the, the, the whole, you know, there are different reasons why we choose to work with talent. There's different reasons why talent, talent chooses certain promoters and there's often relationship based, you know, well, we, we know these people, we've worked with them, you know, all our bands play there, whatever, but all of that is just a different way of saying, Hey, I, we trust them, you know, but you trust me too. Yes. We, we're not saying we don't like you, you know, we're not, we're not saying that, but we're, you know, this is what we're used to. And we like to, to, to do that, you know, and that's so, so, you know, I mean, there's room that it's a pretty big business and there's actually not that many human beings that handle it, you know, relative to the enormity of the business, which again, if you're really savvy, I mean, that puts some more pressure on you and get, you know, should make you work a little bit harder <laughs> to protect what you've got and to help those in need. Um, but it's, it's everything. I mean, it really, that's, it's, it's everything. You know, I mean, oftentimes it's different. It's, it's not quite, it's parallel. It's not quite the same, but like, you know, I'll ask people, what do you think the most valuable thing in, is in live music? And most of the time people say it's the ticket. And I say, no, it's information. That's the most valuable commodity. It's information and how you deal with it, how you communicate it, you know, because how you handle information and interpersonal dynamics, those are the foundations of trust. Mm. I love it. Jason, starting to wrap up here. I 